Hello, Toby Haydoke here with Happy Times and Places, positively inclined Doc 2 episode commentaries punctuated by self-loathing and non-sequiturs, but mostly I'm trying to guess what my special guests' favourite things about their chosen episode of Doctor Who are. Hello, my name is Jeremy Bentham. Well, I'm one of the, what Doctor Who magazine likes to call one of the last of the few who are actually still around to watch the original stories of Doctor Who from the very beginning. I'm very pleased to nominate as my Doctor Who story for Toby's uh, Enterprise, Marco Polo. Well, hello everybody. It's episode three of Marco Polo, which last week was called The Cave of 500 Eyes, uh, and this week isn't. Um, they, they keep changing their minds at the episode endings, don't they? Um, so listen, uh, it's the third episode of this seven-part epic. You just heard the mighty uh, J. Jeremy Bentham, one of the... Godfathers is wrong. Godfather is... Is a sort of you know yeah sort of caretaker, uh, looky after it type of thing. No, he's one of the the grandfathers, the granddaddies. He probably would appreciate that of Doctor Who fandom. There from the early days, he's seen it all, uh, and he's here to give testimony about Marco Polo. Interestingly, though, a story he wasn't wild about first time round, and I know a few fans. Um, as, oh, I wonder if Al, I haven't. There's a fellow I knew years ago called Alan in Wolverhampton, Willenhall, Wolverhampton, uh, who'd seen it all from the very beginning. And he said, uh, you know, that he used to go out and kick the football around rather than watch Marco Polo because it was boring. Uh, and you go, well, I, you know, I do, I do have some sympathy with that. If you're if you're a kid who's been grabbed by this kooky, amazing sci-fi show, and suddenly they're all being philosophical about gourds. And uh, uh, you know, purring about chess, you might go. Hang on, where where are the where are the things with lasers that turn people negative? I want that, please. Where's the jungle with the tendrils? I want that, thanks. I want stock footage of a caterpillar that looks like an alien. That is more exciting than any amount of singing sand dunes. Um, so, however, I Marco Polo currently is doing the business for me and love the philosophical nature of the script love the guest cast uh love the the sort of epic feel of the whole thing and probably i have to be honest because it's lost um if you're a doctor who story uh, they say it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all if you never had a chance to love something up close and personal it's you know it's 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 always there as a tantalizing oh but if only uh and so you probably desire it just a little bit more um uh, that that metaphor may not have been entirely one i'm comfortable with uh, <laughs> but anyway let's now caress episode three of marco polo and uh and uh and and cast uh if not 500, a couple of eyes over in three, two, one. Uh, and once again, I'm not watching this on uh, uh, DVD because uh, it's, it's not on a DVD. I'm watching it on a... So I don't have I don't have any subtitles, which means that I, I won't be able to probably talk about the dialogue as much as I would like, which is a shame because there are some absolutely terrific lines courtesy of... John Lucarotti, who was a great lyrical writer, and he'd he'd written a seven-part Canadian series. No, no, fifteen-part, wasn't it? Canadian series about Marco Polo. See, so he 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 kind of knew the the story and the characters, and uh, and he just went, well, I've, I've I'll I'll sort of shoehorn Doctor Who into it. But actually, um, the Doctor and the companions are an absolutely essential part of this. Um, and the way that he's fused the story of Marco Polo with 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 the travellers, I think, is 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 very effectively done. Uh, I, I, and, and I mean, just look at the costumes as well. I mean, uh, presumably a lot of this stuff came from 
came from stock but it, it you know it shows the advantage of having a bbc with a costume department and uh, i was listening to something today talking about the future of the bbc see it's called 500 eyes whereas last week it said next week the cave of 500 eyes so they 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 changed the episode title between uh 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 between episodes so is that yeah and i think that's the that's the only time that happens um I mean, at the end of the gunfights, it says next week, Doctor Who and the Savages, but that's more of an announcement sort of going, and the stories are going to be called just one thing from now on. Um, we do like Marco Polo narrating the action. This really does feel like his story, which I really like. Oddly, when, you know, obviously I, I'm a follower of the Doctor and his companions and they're, you know, my, you know, the, the figures that one as a viewer latches onto. I always sort of like it when the show gives a story i love 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 and monsters you know forgiving forgiving elton his his little uh his little moment in the sun and i i like the fact that this is kind of marco's it's called marco polo he's the famous one you know let him out he's 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 the one doing the traveling um and i really like that and and that was warris hussein who decided to do that um i'm, I'm sure luca rotti did have narration but from the from the travelers i think um what was I talking about? I was, yes, but uh, the BBC. Um, and I, I th you know, the, the public service broadcasting is in, is in trouble. And, you know, I, I understand the arguments about, you know, uh, you know, co commercialism um, being Im important because it brings in competition and things like that. Um, but actually, I think you need a public service alternative as well because, Actually, as a lot of the BBC's output at its, at its prime showed, you know, that there aren't many ITV shows from the 60s, 70s, 80s that have endured in the way that a lot of BBC stuff did. Uh, and this, of course, is extremely Rethian. And I love, oh, and I didn't mention it during episode one, I, I, I love the bit where, which I didn't know about um, the, uh, when, when they have the conversation about the, the temperature of the water um, uh, uh, and 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 Marco's misapprehension about how the science of that works uh, uh, up in the high altitude, and this is absolutely brilliant. Sidney Newman, L Lord Reith, uh, Doctor Who, courtesy of uh, John Lucarotti, going. Uh, you know, um, how do I solve this? This, and I don't know if he he came up with a solution first and then worked out the peril backwards, but however he's done it. The peril is they have no water. That's a great piece of uh, dramatic peril within uh, a travelogue adventure. Um, you know, people getting stuck and dying of thirst in the desert was a was a thing that happened in stories and comics and literature and you know uh, and the sort of stuff that was around at the time. Um, and it, so it's so it makes perfect sense that that should be a peril. Uh, he's 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 brought it in that the doctors and needs to go in the TARDIS which means that Hartnell being ill last week kind of helped with that because um, he was going to go in the TARDIS he was going to end up in the TARDIS anyway but his, 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 his enforced absence actually helps with that part of the story and he's in the TARDIS and I mean it's never quite happened since of course and, and now I think you know the that the temperature outside the TARDIS does not affect what's going on inside because it's in a different dimension so I don't think you could do that now, but here at this point, um, it, it, it makes sense to go, okay, well, if they're inside this thing, um, uh, you know, what, um, uh, you know, our, we, we, our, our science knows about how condensation works, um, and, and what it is, uh, and so, although we, you know, the the doctor did nothing to manipulate it or orchestrate it, he didn't make it happen. Uh, but him being in there because he's poorly, and he just got boom, 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 and then they have to explain it to Marco because he doesn't quite understand. But then, oh, no, he's probably seen it happen. He's seen dew and probably and things like that. So he he knows the, you know, he oh, okay, no, that that does make a sort of sense to him once it's explained to him. So it works perfectly for all those characters and then and within the drama and the story it's a great solution to their situation even though as i say you couldn't do it now i don't think because of what we know about the tardis hat watch yay um uh and and then what i like is that having gone right we've got the water 
it's actually quite modern, isn't it? We're suddenly at a lick. We're, we're with Tigana. There's no, right, let us drink the water and let us go to Tigana. And he is there and he sees it. You know, it's, it's like we're with Tigana. We've, okay, we've got, we've got that bit of the story done. Um, so for a story that is, it does take place on quite a long old trek, um, you know, that's quite a snappy, snappy jump. Uh, and I mean, how do we feel about the fact that Tigana is obviously a baddie? Um, and I do like his double pointy beard, by the way. He's even got the devil's beard. Um, uh, and and it is, and I do, I do like the the purred villainy of Darren Nesbitt, who I think is a is a really interesting actor. I love his number two uh, in in the Prisoner episode. Um, it's it's a really idiosyncratic but but nicely idiosyncratic not not attention seeking it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's it's he's he's a slightly sort of lovable eccentric number two um slightly charming um and and completely different in this um and i, I mean, he seems somehow bigger as well and burly which he doesn't doesn't seem in some of his other parts. I think it's a, so. It's a really interesting part for him, and he's a he's a very sixties actor as well. Um, I remember the, the 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 he's credited. Is he credited on one of the? Does he do the voiceover for the for the hanging on the day to day? It's not him, but they you know they they have these false credits where they show a live hanging uh, from the sixties, and I think the voiceover there is Darren and Darren Nesbitt was used by the comic strip who were. Uh, who, who used people like Ronald Allen. You know, they used act actors from the past they had a sort of slight affection for. Um, but I think he deserves to be more than that. He did a film quite recently, didn't he? Uh, uh, um, uh, which, which he got some, some, quite a lot, some, some quite big acclaim for. Um, and, and maybe if it, the, the film had, uh, had, a, had a bigger release, uh, he'd have got, you know, it might have... Uh, really well would it really i don't know i don't know but uh, i think he certainly deserves to be more than uh you know the the guy we remember from the 60s i think he's a really i think he's a really interesting actor the closest i've got is i've i had an email from him once but uh uh that where he, he he said he would be interested in doing a an interview but he was off to do he was off to work somewhere um uh and then then my follow-up uh I didn't. I didn't hear back, and I don't like to bother people. So I've had a little bit of contact with him, but he's he's one that got away. Uh, but I think he's yeah. I think he deserves more to be to be more than you know a, 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 an actor we remember from the sixties. I think he's a really good, good and interesting actor. Um, uh, but he yeah, his his career was slightly tainted by a couple of things that happened uh, later. Uh, so, so it's not all just about the the vagaries and uncertainties of the acting profession. Um, but he's still, you know, he's still he's still working, uh, and he's done a big finish too, hasn't he? At least one, couple. Um, but I th yes, I think I got distracted talking about Darren Nesbitt. But why not? Why not talk about Darren Nesbitt? He's a he's a good actor. Um, uh, and Jacqueline. Hill is a good actress. That's right. Uh, how do we feel about Tigana's obvious villainy? Well, I mean, I think it's quite nice that, you know, Polo... Polo, of course, has much more reason to trust Tigana. He knows who he is. Uh, and, and, and you know, he's supposed to be going with him as a sort of peace emissary, whereas these four uh, travellers have, have come out of nowhere. And, and so, uh, actually, that, that does work within the context of the story that Polo is... Is, is is quite keen to give um uh Tigana a, a few chances despite the fact that the travelers are suspicious of him but i like the fact that the the travelers are going like hang on did, why didn't the you know if you're saying you were attacked by bandits why why didn't they have a fire well you know so the the travelers are using their intelligence in the way that an intelligent young viewer would also be sort of thinking, ah, yeah, but if that's his excuse, how come this? So I think I think they're doing a nice job in that regard. Um, this I love. I love the fact that in a seven-part story, uh, you can have a moment like this that is unlike any other moment in Doctor Who. 
it's a it's a little performance piece that is nonetheless informs the story i mean we could just have had a line saying the hashashins did this but it is illustrated in a way that it would have been done in the time so it gives us a sense of period uh it gives a a a, a new young actress uh, a, a moment to shine it gives a guest character uh, a, a lovely uh, a, a, a lovely moment within the episode um and sh- and 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 it will have been you know she because she did it very well and all in one take and it's not just the the monologue she will have done it with movement because it was she was she was schooled by zora seagal that's one of the reasons zora seagal is uh is an extra in this is that she was on hand to also instruct xenia merton in some of the mime and the movements um and and the the, the backing of tristram carey's music is is lovely as well lovely it gives it a lovely sort of lyrical backing um lyrical is the wrong word but you know uh, uh, it gives it a lovely um augmentation um and it's lovely and it's charming uh and the story could live without it but it would be lesser for not having it and that's what is afforded by the slightly long form although it's i mean i was talking to some friends tonight about you know netflix series and some of the longer form series we get today you know fans of this period of telly as i'm sure you are and i certainly am always sort of go oh but in those days you know they could afford to have things like this because they had a longer running time some series on netflix these days and some of the longer you, you know I, I've, I've started watching some telly over the past three or four years ago oh this is this is pleasingly slow it's a bit like you know it's a bit like some 60s telly is that it's prepared to take its time and, and i have to say the novelty is worn off a bit there is some some te- some 10 part series on netflix that could easily chop off about five episodes and if i have to another watch watch another series where say episode six ends on a belting cliffhanger then episode seven starts with three years earlier and you basically spend that whole episode building up to the cliffhanger you saw last week oh that boils my piss uh, <laughs> uh, or you know that, that will tell a, to, uh, that that sort of non-linear that that non-linear thing where we'll we'll go back to an instant from the past that informs the present which is yes an interesting and clever way of telling the story but it's become a cliche now that also takes ages to sort it to to to, to go about its business and i would much rather see just a lovely sort of showcase performance like that um and i love that it exists within doctor who this mad old show that didn't quite know what it could and couldn't do so it went well why don't we have a a, a bit where this character who's only ever going to be in seven episodes of doctor who in one story uh who we're never going to see you know we've never seen before and we'll never see again why don't we give her this this nice bit where you know um and, and you know plays are full of that where you know a character might come on for one scene and have an amazing so you need a good actor to do it and you uh, and uh, i yeah i i i love that philip voss as Akomat. Uh, this is nice having telesnaps for this because the first ever um, uh, recon of this done by Luce Cannon, who do brilliant work, and they source photos of actors from close to the time and even, you know, some of the extras and everything. They go into fastidious detail, but they had no idea what Philip Voss looked like in Marco Polo because we had no photos of him from Marco Polo. So so the, the pictures of him in the very first recon, uh, he looked nothing like he does in the story because there's no other production that exists where he's in makeup to make him look like he does in Marco Polo. Um, he's, he's a sort of small part in this. He's, it's a decent part for a young actor. Uh, and he's got excellent diction, Philip Boss. He has excellent diction. Um, and he returns in The Dominators and is in episode one. He, is, he went on to be one of our finest classical actors. Uh, playing leading roles for the Royal Shakespeare Company much, much later in his career. Um, and, and was still, I think, a reasonably respected actor, you know, up to sort of middle age, and then suddenly had this late blossoming. And I, I, t- I talked to him about this, and he said he'd worked with the director, Mike Alfreds, who is a director I've heard other actors talk about, who suddenly changed their thought process, their, their approach to how they, they work as actors and how they, they, they must... Um, uh, 
react to everything as though they've just heard it the first time and to listen and he and he just and it was just interesting hearing him who was a you know very perfectly very able actor at, at, at this stage he's excellent he's the best thing about episode one of the dominators um uh and and he's and he's good in this as especially as you know it's an early telly for him um but that that he was you know you know halfway through his career he suddenly he suddenly said he became a different actor and uh, and that's what enabled him to you know progress and play Shylock for the RSC and, and all of that sort of thing so and and how fascinating that you know yeah he pops up in Doctor Who twice in in you know fairly humble contributions to the two stories that he's in but nonetheless he was always happy uh, to to be interviewed i interviewed him by but over over the over the line i was at the frog and bucket comedy club actually and i used their office to talk to him when i was I was a bit homeless because I was going through a divorce. Um, so, uh, uh, and uh, and I remember calling him and uh, he was so charming and lovely and had this wonderful voice. Uh, and and uh, and he said at the end, and he because he, he was you know slightly slightly campactory in a in a way uh, that I just adore. And he went and good luck with the project. And I I loved him for that. And I did actually meet him later, and we corresponded a couple of times. And he was very very charming and lovely. And for somebody that had the career that he had to 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 indulge us as Doctor Who fans, I think he he speaks on the loose cannon. Uh, uh, recon as well and i know um richard bignall interviewed him for his his making of marco polo that he did uh and we got him on out of the unknown uh, my name is philip voss and i played a policeman um <laughs> glorious now this is this now this is interesting uh oh, beware when you say the word interesting because the bad is there this i think is where one can look at um the depiction of other cultures and other nationalities uh, and go well we wouldn't do that now where you know the i think the uh, the, the dice throwing the silent extras um are are, are are sort of almost alien because we don't we don't hear them have any dialogue because that's a practical thing because they're they're non-speaking extras but that adds to the horror of what they're doing and they're they're rolling dice uh, to decide who kills Barbara, which is horrible, which is vile, and it reminds me a little bit of the of the sort of um, Russian roulette in in the Deer Hunter, where um, uh, you know you they, they, those characters they, they do have dialogue, but it's all dialogue that you don't understand, and and both I think curiously they they sort of other as it were the uh, the. the 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 bad guys, you know they are they are unknowable because we don't understand how they speak and so they're they're somehow not human they're somehow um you know alien or or or, or were a worse implication sort of savage or something like that and i think that's that's a that's a way of portraying this sort of stuff then that i i think you know more so than than uh you know now dated makeup or or jimmy gardner here with you know with sticky tape on his eyes putting on a, a sort of a, 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 an attempt at an accent which which again is what wise that uh, Darren Nesbitt doesn't do I think um, but Jimmy Gardner does that's that's interesting they don't have any sort of human uniformity but the but the guys rolling the dice about Barbara are extras so they're, they're not going to say anything anyway and yes as I say that that makes them sort of that others them whereas I think now if you were doing that you would you would probably want those characters to be speaking characters and to show from their point of view why they see Barbara as 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 a reasonable victim why in their eyes it's okay to kill Barbara because that is that is that is more interesting to us now that sort of you know in terms of drama of going well that the, the, the real drama comes from the fact that we kind of understand where they're coming from, but we still don't want them to kill Barbara. Whereas in in the television of this time, you go, oh, no, no, they're they're scary. They're, they're other. Um, and I say that with no judgment to, to either of those ways of doing things, but just as an observation uh, of something that... Uh, oh, no, I could be talking absolute nonsense, but I think, there's, I think there's something in that. But on the subject of, oh, yeah, you know, the people in the old days uh, who did... Uh, Yellowface, uh, they were terrible racists and awful people. Uh, Jimmy Gardner, playing Chenchu here, um, won the Distinguished Flying Cross uh, 
He was a World War II hero fighting against fascism. Uh, he, uh, the average life expectancy of a bomber pilot was two sorties. Um, and most retired after 15. If you did 15, one, you were lucky to survive, my God. Uh, and you were then excused from doing any further. But and, and given lighter duties, uh, you know, to being a dispatch rider or something like that. But Jimmy Gardner did not like uh, riding on motorbikes uh, and so actually requested to go up in the air again and did another 15 sorties and uh, w uh, showed courage under fire uh, and, uh, and, so, and so did double the amount of uh, missions that he should have done uh, and defied the odds and, and survived them all. Um, uh, so, so, you know, that, that, that sort of, I think that sort of thing is worth taking into account when we, when we sit in judgment of, of people from the past. Um, and, and that's a lovely, that's, this is a lovely thing of, uh, uh, of drama that it's just, uh, the 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 moving eyes in a wall. I I don't know why I find that comforting, but I do. It's a it, it's like a sort of like like the the, the parching in the desert. Um, it's a sort of thing that we kind of know of from this. Uh, Charles Wade is only in this episode. I think he died in a, a bit, bit, maybe the late sixties. Um, uh, anyway, too late to talk about him. Uh, um, uh, but yes, his his character only appears in this one episode. He's the old, the old, uh, uh, the 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 older ally of uh, of Tigana and of Philip Moss. Um, but Jimmy Gardner is an interesting character. But he's in it next week, so we could talk about him. Uh, I, 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 you know, beyond his uh, beyond his World War Two exploits. But everyone has a story to tell, uh, and everyone I think is you know has remarkable things about them um and that to me is more interesting than some of the things we often um do when we look to the past uh and as i said i, I said i wouldn't talk about it, but you know especially i think when we are when we are a bit arrogant in our attitudes to what has come before us uh, as if everything that we have now is a result of 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 uh, of, of our own uh progress when actually any progress was that was made might well have been initiated by those people from the past that we're being um, rather disdainful of, you know, that the momentum of others got us to here. So careful about taking too much credit for it. Um, so I like the moving eyes. I think that's a great cliffhanger ending. That's a really nice sort of Perils of Pauline kind of daring do adventure series type of thing, which this story needs some of because much much as I, you know, we love it for its poetry and its and its characterization, it does need Jeopardy because it's a an adventure serial. Um and and that had plenty of that. I mean I think I think the the capture of Barbara uh and that and that throwing of the dice to decide who's gonna kill her is really horrible. Um, and seeing Tigana with his with his mates, you know, the plots are brewing sort of, you know, outside of Marco's camp whilst, you know, Ian and Barbara are trying to suggest to Marco that Tigana's up to no good. So it's the tension is 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 bubbling up and there's and there's danger sort of lurking in every corner, as well as the fact, of course, that, um, you know, the, the, the Mar Marco does doesn't want the travellers to keep their the, the thing that's going to get them home. So lots going on. Um, there was lots of spooky atmosphere, I think, in in those cave scenes, and that wonderful. Uh, I have to give it that. I have to give it that. Um, uh, the the monologue from Xenia Merton, um, just because of its unique contribution to to Doctor Who. I don't think there's anything else quite like it, and I love the fact that there are you know, however many six hundred odd episodes of classic Who. God knows how many now. That in all of those, in episode three of Marco Polo, there's a bit that is unlike any other bit in the whole of Doctor Who, um, and so you, I can't not cherish that. And I, I and I rather like the fact that it is the work of a writer that only wrote three stories, and then I mean, you know, whether how, how much of the massacre he actually wrote is is open to to, to argument. Um, an actress who's only in seven episodes of Doctor Who, and all right, um, Sarah Jane Adventures as well, playing a different part. Um, 
But, you know, it's not a showcase moment for a doctor. It's not a standout bit for a companion. It's not a companion's leaving scene or arriving scene or or, or an episode that focuses on them. Uh, you know, it's not a doctor hero moment. Uh, it's not even the main guest star's big speech or big self-sacrifice or big villainous declamatory moment. It's this really sweet character uh, who's got her own story within it, which is a, you know, a lovely sort of bittersweet story. She's going to, because I, 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 I talk through the in dialogue, they've had the conversation, haven't they, where I'm going to meet, I'm going to go marry this guy I've never met. And that makes us all go, oh, hang on, this is interesting stuff about, you know, d different cultures and what is, you know, and, uh, and, and you, you know, di dif different um moors from different times and and that you know makes us aware that our way of doing things isn't isn't the only way that things are done and the, the way that things happen with other people but bring up their own dramas and i think all of that is really worth exploring in doctor who if it is within a dramatic story with you know bad guys with swords and caves with eye holes that move uh it's a great cliffhanger i love that cliffhanger even though I mean, how does that work? Is it is is it a really thin bit of stone? Because <laughs> that's going to have to be a really thin cave wall for somebody behind it to have their eyes looking through. Do you get cave walls? It, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's like the ones that the door, the the wall doors, the cave doors that swing open in uh, in uh, in Peladon, isn't it? Um, anyway, uh, I mean, I I don't think I'm gonna I'm gonna prosper with with Jeremy because I think he's. He's 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 maybe choosing, you know, different examples of technical things or or aspects of the making of the show that go up, you know, that that all combine together to, to make this great whole, as it were. But I, I but I can only go with my instincts, uh, and and I I would feel it would be remiss of me, I think, to ignore. Uh, that bit that the story could totally do without. And that probably, you know, as a viewer, you know, I, I prefer scenes when people are arguing or where there's big drama or there's big bits of action or there's, um, you know, repressed emotion. That's more my sort of dramatic cup of tea. But I love that for what, but, but for what it is on its own terms. Um, uh, and, and the fact that so much, that, that time was spent on this lovely piece of pure performance. And 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 for me, at the end of the day, you know, as as a as a viewer, um, and as an actor, I suppose, you know, I know people like Christopher Eccleston and and Louise Jameson, excellent actors, both always say, you know, the script is the thing and the writing's the thing. Um, for me, I think it's always been a good a good actors can can make terrible stuff sound great. I think was it was it? I think it was Edward Peel said uh, i'm gonna swear now which i don't normally do in this but uh, but uh, i'm gonna quote so hide your ears if you're of any good actors can make shit smell sweet uh, uh and, I, and i think there is an element to that and that's odd because i'm a writer and i write as well um but i like i like i like good actors doing good stuff and i think because the actor has to do it in the in the moment um you know, whereas a writer, you go back and you refine and you, you know, what you're seeing when you're seeing an actor do a thing, they were doing it right then. Uh, and there's all, and, and, and actually acting on television is hard because you have to hit, you, you know, it's not like being on stage in the, quite the same way. On stage, you do have to, you know, catch your light and all of that sort of thing. But, but, but the, the, with all the technical stuff going on and, and your cameras and, and, and especially in the 60s when it was done as live, um, I think there's something so pure about that that I love. Um, so it would be remiss of me not to uh, not to choose Xenia Merton's lovely monologue about the tale of the Hashashins. And I love the educational aspects as well. That's, you know, we've had the condensation there and we've had uh, a little bit of history lesson about the assassins and i remember i remember i learned that through hashashins means assassin oh brilliant that's brilliant. i don't know if i did learn that through doctor i think i might have known that anyway but i love the fact that i, I love it when doctor who tells you a thing that makes you put two and two together and go oh, oh yeah ah yeah love it um but anyway yeah xenia merton's monologue what has jeremy bentham chosen no mention of marco polo will be complete without a very special mention for warris hussein the uh 
the story's director, because Warris was an absolute master of the close-up. Look at his work on 100,000 BC to see what he achieves with moving pictures. Look at any of the telesnaps and you'll see the vast majority of them show the actors in close-up, giving the very best performances that he's encouraged from them. No more so does this happen in this episode when you've got Ping Cho's in your Merton delivering nearly two pages of solo dialogue as a sort of music movement and mime act, which again she does all in one take. The applause that she gets at the end you really feel was merited both by the cast and by the characters they were playing. And there is a sparkling pace to Marco Polo's production. It doesn't sag in the way that... in the way that what? If any of you have got the discs of Pathfinders, the previous series that was done by Sidney Newman, have a look at that because it's a very, very good set of series. But when you watch the episodes on the playbacks, they're slightly stagey, slightly static in a way that Doctor Who never was. And Doctor Who, one of its biggest fortes, was actually producing cliffhangers. And this, uh, that all the directors, but also especially Warris Hussain could do in spades, uh, the 500 Eyes episode has one, to me, one of the best episode cliffhangers of all time that terrified me as a kid, because you start with that tracking shot along the side of the cave walls, and then suddenly, one of the cave wall illustrations, the eyes are moving. Just for a second, they blaze like the hood in Thunderbirds. You cut away to Susan's scream, and then you cut back at the end of the episode, but the blazing eyes have gone, and it's just a light of quartz. Is it an illusion? Is it a ghost? Well, you have to find out next week. Ah, um, I mean, he he alluded there, didn't he, to the uh, to the to the speech? But he was he was choosing Waris Hussein. Uh, so I'm gonna lose. Um, uh, he who wins shall lose, and he who loses happy times places is always bloody me. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, Warris Hussain is excellent. Warris is, I mean, uh, and this this is what gives me hope about um, Marco. What? Well, no. If it turns up, I'll be happy anyway. But but hope that uh, that it is as good as we we all think uh, is because, um, you know the the, the 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 you know the caveman stuff is in in the first story, which I noticed. Jeremy, they're called 100,000 BC. That's very interesting. His, his, see, you're never too, you're never too old to, 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 to adopt the, the new ways of saying things. I, I mean, I am. Uh, I, I, I still don't call it that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm aware of the flaws in any argument that I may have. But, uh, um, uh, oh, I, I'm very. I move with the times. I watch BBC Three teen dramas, but I'm never saying the massacre of St Bartholomew's Eve. Uh, but anyway, or Dalek cutaway. Um, I mean, I know I just said that, but you know what I mean. Um, uh, but Warris Hussein's d- direction of that, the, of the, of the caveman stuff, um, which you know, script-wise, is pretty thin in places. Uh, it, it makes those episodes better than they've any right to be, and he, he, he you know, and I, I talked about this when I did the Happy Times and Places on the Cave People episodes, as chosen by the glorious and gorgeous Jim Sangster, um, is that his use of close-ups and trusting his actors, and this is obviously cast very well. All the actors in this are great. Um, you know, the fact that you've got a young Philip Voss there. Uh, uh, you know, as, as as one of the smaller roles means that you you know, I remember Philip saying I was just so hungry because of course people were. In fact, I've just been going through um, some paperwork on Reginald Tate who played Quatermass, and there's a there's a there's a letter to him about a play that he did. You know, at the BBC, and they're saying you know thanks for st- staying at the end of the day to do a few pickups, especially as we were aware that you hadn't eaten all day because of course you know. It's the other thing you forget about uh, the six is when you know when we 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 all you know can grab a sandwich from Pret Manger and eat pretty well and have quite a, the array of food that we have available to us would have astonished uh, these people you know the, the the people making this stuff who are people we can have met and have encountered and have shared this earth at the same time as we have but you know there there were real you know lack of. Uh, 
the sort of resources that that that, that we have um and uh, philip you know and, and availability of foodstuffs and convenience and all of that sort of stuff and yeah philip described very evocatively how terribly as a as a poor young actor how really hungry uh he was and in fact xenia merton had a story didn't she about how um because they had canteen food there um you, you know when when uh when she went for the, the evening meal you know and it was spotted dick and custard for tea uh for for, for pudding she filled up on that because it's like wow this is an absolutely massive treat and then real and, and was surprised that none of the regulars were uh, and then realized why when she came to do her performance because she was full of spotted dick and custard and and so slightly sort of uh, loafy as a result um you know so ah so yeah um uh so um the past is another country they they eat different things there <laughs> um I, what did i get onto food um oh because i've well I, what did i do i batted from one subject to another probably halfway through a sentence and probably left some thoughts unfinished i liked his description there of uh, the camera pan along the wall to the eyes because of course that's obviously something he rem actually remembers seeing uh, i'm very envious um, of anybody that has seen the moving pictures of marco polo please somebody find them uh i'm i'm loving this story for all sorts of different reasons and i i love it sort of slightly elegiac uh, feel that it has and i and, and i do hope that's not just because it's slightly unreachable and and i'm having to fill in bits with my imagination uh and that uh, you know it doesn't all look like the you know clunky fight scenes in the, the the time you know a lot of a lot of doctor who from the 60s you you know you have to you have to do it a lot of favors when you're watching it um and so i can't we you can't suddenly start imagining that this looks like a this that this looks like a you know a feature film um uh, this looks like lawrence of arabia or whatever because it won't it will look much closer to the time meddler than it than it does to lawrence of arabia so um but i think you know the strengths that it has the the, the lovely dialogue the, you know it's we know it's a good director um we uh we, you know the, the 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 work that the cast are doing i think i think um bleeds out from from you know from from the audio and from 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 the pictures that we have i think it's i think it's good i think it's lovely i think it's it's high end doctor who uh and it's really nice to be rediscovering it with somebody who was there and i i uh, you know uh, uh, i think of this very much as a companion piece to the dalek's master plan podcast that uh, i did of these because uh, that was another one that i'd i'd been really daunted by doing simply because it's lots of old black and white episodes that are largely missing that i also don't know particularly well um but introduced by a, a you know a, a, a veteran fan uh and and i think sometimes these guys get like ian and jeremy you know I don't, I don't know why why we don't talk to them more why 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 they aren't you know i get away with murder i'm on all sorts of uh 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 you know official doctor who releases i i you know i think i think people like jeremy you know who who, who laid the foundations um and are obviously you know very erudite and uh articulate and insightful commentators and and informed um you know again i'm sorry young people but i'm from, I'm from a generation where you look you look at the people that went before you and you sort of vener venerate them um because because they were there in those hallowed times and they have experience and they have knowledge that uh, one can benefit from uh and I and I think in this, uh, so it does maybe touch upon some of the obsessions I've been having as I've been going through this, you know. I, I, I and 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 I know that this is partially because of, uh, uh, you know, provocations I, I I've had. I'm the father of two young two young men, and you know they 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 speak to you as if you're an idiot and don't know anything. Um, so maybe I'm. I'm slightly touchy about um, sort of the 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 next generation uh, writing off that went before, but I certainly do think that when I was their age, you know, you looked back at the past, or I certainly did, as 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 a place and people that you learnt from, 
And, you know, there are societies that treat their old people with veneration uh, and cultures that, you know, that, that treat their, their old people extremely well because they have been there and they have seen it and they should therefore be respected. Whereas it seems to me these days, uh, 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 you know, we're, we're um, dinosaurs who don't know anything. But maybe that's just um, getting older in the UK and that has always happened because... Yeah, it's like you know, Granddad, you're such a square. I mean, that's that's been the that's been the uh, anthem of youth for you know decades. So uh, that's the other thing to remember is that what you think are the the terrible uh, moors of today is just history repeating itself, and uh, um, you know that the, the arguments between the generations uh, have have pretty much echoed to the same tune uh, even if the lyrics occasionally change so there we go um, but I for one am always more than happy to hear from and speak to uh, those those fans from you know who watched the show from the beginning because there are some great people amongst them really interesting observers who bring with them their own experiences uh, that can only benefit us so thanks to jeremy bentham uh, and what will his eyes be staring at next week uh, uh well i can tell you it'll be a wall of lies uh, but uh, i'm sure jeremy won't be telling any uh, in the meantime uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, happy times and places to you all ta-ta Thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest this time around, J. Jeremy Bentham. I'm grateful to Jeremy and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Matthew Newton, Graham Knott, Dave Owen, Melvin Pena, Keith Pilly, Jonathan Potter, Kevin Parker, Scott Pride, Dylan Reese, John Rivers... Mark Sandham, Jim Sankster, Matt Sawyer, Neil Tate, Nick Temple, Sabrina Terabassi, Reynard Toombs, Apollo C. Vermouth, Gary Wales, Adam Westwood, Rich Wiggins, Michael Williams, Andrew Willis, Andrew Wilson, Sidney Wilson, Stephen White, Nick Tedston, Richard Straw, Christopher Meredith, Rob Leonard, Ronald Hayden, Peter Harness, Chris Phone, and Peter Burns. The music is by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. Well, maybe you too would like your name read out on the closing credits. That is one of the perks of being a patron. You can become one of those by going to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. And they also help to keep these podcasts ad free and cost as little as three pounds a month. And you get three releases a week at least. Um, And those releases include bonus material, uh, exclusive access, Uh, and very, very, very early uh, availability for these podcasts. Six months ahead for Happy Times and Places and at least a month for Indefinable Magic and Too Much Information. And there's a bonus other podcast, Far Too Much Information, which is just for patrons. So that's patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Uh, and uh, the three pounds a month, there's a ten percent discount if you sign up for a year in advance. In fact, there's a ten percent discount across all of the tiers. Most of the uh, bonuses are available at the lowest tier. I don't like to withhold things, but there are uh, a few little carrots dangled uh, as you ascend the ladder. Uh, there's also Kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock if you don't want to get tied up to a monthly commitment. However, I know that times are tough and they're getting tougher and bills are increasing and, you know, we consume our entertainment gratis these days. That's how it works. And I'm just grateful there's an audience with all the stuff out there. I'm grateful to you, the person listening right now, and it needn't cost you a thing. However, a little bit of your time would be appreciated if you could go to iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts and give this Toby Haydock's Time Travels five stars. And if you could also give it a few lines of positive review so that the listeners know what they're in store for and tell your friends either by word of mouth or via cyberspace, especially if they live in America or Canada or Australia. I'd like to spread my tentacles 
around the world. That costs you nothing. I'd love it if you could. I'm also a stand-up comedian and I do comedy shows in Manchester every Tuesday at Excess Malarkey Comedy Club. Excess Malarkey also has a Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey, where there is an archive of stand-up shows that we did uh, during the pandemic. I mean, there weren't so much stand-up as sit down and stare into a Zoom call, but it meant that we could spread our comedy tentacles around the world, and we did. And we went to Australia for comics like Alice Fraser. We went to the States for comics like uh, Eddie Pepitone. And uh, we got the best of the cream of the crop of the British comedians too, from Marcus Brigstock to James Acaster via Ed Gamble and Nish Kumar. Uh, just to name a few and they did loads of lovely comedy shows for us during the pandemic and it's a well-loved comedy club that also gives an outing to some newer kids on the block so uh, if you would like to check that out twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey it's got its own feed on twitter as well at excess malarkey and i am on twitter at toby haydoke and also you can follow these podcasts at haydoke podcasts so if you want to do any of those things Oh, your life will be infinitely better. I forgot to mention uh, at the end of uh, last episode, The Singing Sands, which I did at the same time as this one, that, uh, that it was recorded uh, during uh, the heat wave that beset the UK and caused um, the usual uh, <laughs> fracture and schism uh, within public discourse. So you've got some people going, ah, it's only a bit of sun, get over it, you snowflakes. Uh, not not realising that snowflakes actually find sun pretty difficult to deal with uh, what with being snowflakes so uh, if you're going to call people that don't blame them if they melt uh, and uh, other people going oh my god it's the sun we're all going to die um, I uh, <laughs> so I, I'm fortunate uh, in that uh, because I work from home I was able to just I mean I would have eaten 100 kilipos if I could but I resisted I didn't go outside um, so I was able to stay in and do various things including recording uh, some of the commentaries for Marco Polo. Um, so I just thought it was quite fun to point out for posterity that uh, the Singing Sands in particular, which is about being uh, parched in the desert, uh, was actually recorded in genuine Thirsto vision. Uh, no, it's not. It's Thirsto listen. Thirsto listen. It was recorded in Thirsto listen. Um, whereas uh, I'm actually recording this episode... Um, uh, 500 eyes uh whilst uh, looking through a hole in a cave wall so um <laughs> perhaps i should try and record uh, this joke will get tired very very soon uh what what's uh yeah uh what's what well, i can't remember what happens in the next episode i'll have to i'll have to continue uh, for episode five i shall record it whilst riding from shang tu uh and i'll record episode seven whilst trying to commit an assassination at peking etc etc you uh uh, you get um, you get the you get the gist. Um, yeah, I'll, re I'll I'll record episode four of the Romans in the nightclub from the War Machines. Yeah, see see what I did see what I did there. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I I think that's probably enough. <laughs>